hospitality. And um, if you've not been here the last few weeks, uh, no matter, I'm just going to quickly recap where we have been. Uh, and so this is the third week um, of our series. And on week one, um, I just unpacked why emotionally healthy spirituality matters uh, in the first place. Um, and the consequences of ignoring our emotional health and the connection with our own spirituality um, can be disastrous, was basically the headline. And often in church, in our spiritual lives, it can be something that we can ignore. And so we carry on at a surface level in our discipleship to Jesus, but our, the roots of our lives are untouched unless we dare to go there. Um, as we think about emotional health, our hearts, our inner lives. And then last week, uh, we had Jill Parnham speaking to us on going back to move forward. What does that mean? Uh, she was talking about thinking uh, of our uh, family of origin, um, our upbringing, and the impact that has on us today, on our spiritual lives, but our lives generally. And um, she talked about Joseph as one example from the Bible. Uh, so Joseph, if you think back in his family tree, to Isaac, to Abraham, uh, Jacob before that. Uh, if you look at that family tree, there was a history of favoritism amongst sons. There's a history of lack of intimacy within marriages. There's a history of lying. And those behaviors continued down generations. And the same is true in our lives, that if we look back to our parents and our grandparents, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly, isn't there? That's certainly true for my family, and it'll be true for all of us. Unless we reflect on our family of origin and how we were brought up, then we're never going to get to that place of freedom and peace and fullness of life that Jesus longs for us. So that was week two. And today we are looking at something called the journey through the wall. And when we talk about the wall, we're really talking about uh, an experience of suffering which feels like we're never going to get through. It feels like it's too much for us. And we wonder where we're going to go from here. How are we ever going to get out of this? That's why it's called the wall. And the suggestion is that these periods of suffering can be profound in our discipleship to Jesus. That like a rock under intense pressure and extreme temperatures changes to become a diamond, something beautiful comes from it. So with us, as we go through intense seasons of suffering, which will come on all of us um, at one point or another, actually from those times, God can create something beautiful. Now, I just want to be really clear. We don't believe that God ever brings suffering on any of us. That's bad theology. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But he's so good that even when we go through suffering, God can take that and he can take the discordant notes of our lives and create something harmonious and beautiful. That's how good God is. So that's what we're thinking a bit about this morning. And uh, apologies for my voice. You've definitely got a bass today rather than a paritone or a tenor. Um, I've picked up that cold that is going around. Um, but we're going to just read from Psalm 13. So if you've got a phone or a there's some old-fashioned copies of the Bible, paper Bibles at the back if you want one of those, Psalm 13. And I'm just going to read, uh, it's just six verses long. I'm just going to read uh, from that as we kick off, and then I'll pray. This is a Psalm of David, and it's a time when he's experiencing suffering, potentially fleeing the jealous King Saul 
He had 13 years in the wilderness. His life was under threat. And um, that period could be described as a bit of a wall for him. And this is what he says. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will have sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And Father, in these moments now, we thank you for your presence here, and we pray that you would help us to move forward to greater freedom and fullness and peace, that we know that you have come to win us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we um, look at this topic, the journey through the world, we're going to ask three questions. The first question is this. We're going to unpack a little bit more. What does the wall feel like? What does it feel like when we're in that place? And then secondly, we don't just want to stay there. How do we respond? How do we respond when we get to that place of suffering, or those seasons of suffering? And then thirdly, what are the characteristics of those who've gone through the wall? So firstly, what does the wall feel like? And I'm just going to share something of my own uh, experience of this. So for me, uh, looking back over my life, I can see there was a period in my early 20s when I suffered on and off from anxiety and depression. Um, and that period kind of together collectively over those few years I would describe as a wall uh, exp- uh, experience. But it was also a catalyst for profound change in my life. Now, one of the marks of the wall is that the old ways of doing things don't work anymore. And so we're brought to a stark realization of that as we come into this place of pain. And that's why it's called the wall, because it's not working and we're wondering how we can go through. So my background was that I grew up in church. Uh, I went along to Sunday school every summer. I remember going on summer camps either as a, a delegate or a volunteer. Um, I'd been brought up to read the Bible and to pray. Uh, I knew the lingo to use. Um, I'd been part of the Christian Student Union at university. I'd been on a ministry trip abroad. And so I kind of became a Christian at 11, and then through my teens, I was kind of wrestling with it. Um, But I'd been a Christian for quite a long time um, when I came into my early 20s. I was quite established, if you like, in Christian activity. And yet... Looking back, there were major parts of my inner life that were unhealthy and untouched by the love of God. There were unhelpful behaviors and thought patterns I'd inherited from my upbringing that were significantly shaping me. There were historic life events and seasons that I'd been through where I'd experienced pain, disappointment, and rejection, like all of us at one point or another. And I'd ignored those and not processed them, and so they were robbing me of freedom. And this lack of emotional health as I look back, manifested in quite a critical spirit of myself. I was quite critical of who I was, but I also was critical of others too often. So as I said, although externally as a Christian, I did lots of Christian activities, I knew the lingo, there was a lack of depth 
There's a lack of um, dealing with the roots of what was going on in my life. So zoom into a year after I graduated from university. I was 22, and I was living quite a nomadic life, sleeping on the floor of a friend's room in central London uh, to resist living at home. Um, And at that particular point, I was unemployed, and I was lonely, and looking back, I was pretty depressed. But at the time, I was confused. I didn't know why I felt so bad. And I felt bad for feeling depressed because I thought I should have the joy of the Lord. I was a Christian. Uh, I went to a great church. I was involved in various ministries. I respected the leadership. And I used to go along, smile, get involved. But there was a massive chasm between that and what was really going on in my inner life. That life that Jesus promises And one for all of us, that rich and satisfying life he talks about in John 10.10 seemed quite far off uh, at that period. We keep moving forward. Things picked up. I did get a job. I found a flat. And uh, I muddled through for a few years. But the roots remained undealt with. A couple years on, and I was at college training for ministry in a different city. And I found that those feelings of anxiety and depression came back. And I tried to deal with them as I dealt with them before. I tried to push them down with the usual things, try harder, maybe read a bit more Bible, um, you know, clench your fists and it will go away. And obviously it didn't. It didn't go away. And I basically came to a day when I just had to admit that something was wrong and that this wasn't working. And so I just started sharing honestly how I was feeling. I shared with friends, I shared with God how I was feeling, and that was the start of a long journey of discovering how to do life, work, friendship, marriage, walk with Jesus in an emotionally healthy way. And I've come a long way since then. It's been a a wonderful story of knowing God's healing and grace and goodness in my life. Now, that period was my wall. Uh, And for all of us, our particular experiences obviously will be different. But there are some common marks. And one of the marks is that it feels like a crisis moment. It's more than just the trials of everyday life. The Bible does talk about us experiencing trials day to day. That um, challenging verse from James 1, consider it pure joy when you uh, experience trials of many kind because they uh, develop a new character. Um, And those kind of trials might be like having an annoying boss at work, getting stuck in traffic, Uh, getting a cold from your snotty child, those sort of things. Um, But they're not quite the same in and of themselves as the wall. Walls are a crisis moment. And um, this is how Peter Scazzaro, who's the author of this course, this book, uh, puts it. For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or a family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusional uh, church experience, betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. Therefore, we question ourselves, we question God, we question the church. We discover for the first time that our faith doesn't appear to work. We have more questions than answers And as the very foundation of our faith feels like it's on the line, we don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he is going, and how he is getting us there. And when will this all be over? I wonder if those words 
resonate with any of us at one season or another of our lives. So that's a little bit about what does the wall feel like. How do we then respond? How do we respond to the wall? And we're just going to look through um, something called the different stages of faith um, for a moment. And we can see where the wall sits in there um, and the impact that that can have. So if we see stage one, um, various thinkers across Christian history have kind of um, put into different stages uh, the discipleship journey um, from Augustine through to today. This is two modern day authors that have come up with this. Um, And stage one um, is basically becoming a Christian. So we become a Christian, perhaps we um, brought up in a Christian home and one day the, the penny drops and we understand God's love and um, it, it changes something within us. Or we didn't grow up in a Christian home. Someone invites us along to church. We haven't experienced the Holy Spirit. We, bec- we come to faith. And then from that, we move to, down to stage two, which is discipleship. And this stage is characterized by learning about God and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We become part of a Christian community and we begin to get rooted in the disciplines of faith. So we do those things like I was talking about. We learn uh, the Bible a bit. We learn to pray. Um, we learn how to worship and perhaps to navigate different uh, seasons of life or the Christian approach to different parts of our lives. So that would be the discipleship stage. And then stage three Um, might be called the active life. So this is described as the doing stage. We get involved, actively working for God, uh, serving him and his people. We take responsibility by bringing our unique talents and gifts to serve Christ and the others. So we're stuck in perhaps uh, on the welcome team or in the worship band, uh, helping with children's groups, all those sort of things. Um, And so that's where many people are um, in their kind of Christian life. And then we have the wall. And we hit the wall and that experience of suffering. And as we journey through that, as we do get through the wall, then we come and three other stages open up for us. Uh, So we have stage five, which is the journey, sorry, stage four, which is the journey inward. Um, And that is very close to the wall because it makes us reflect on what's really going on. And so we um, become more... uh, reflective um, and the wall compels us to this inward journey um, and in some cases as we start to reflect it actually leads us to that crisis point Um, and we begin to uh, look at our emotions we begin to look at what's going on on the inside what's um, really fueling our different behaviors and the love of God can get in into some of that deep stuff once we've gone there to the inward place we journey outward and um, we begin to, to actually um, come into more of that doing kind of stage. We become more active for God. Uh, so we may do some of the same active external things we did before, give leadership, serve, um, acts of mercy and kind, kindness to others. But the difference is that we give out of a new grounded center of ourselves in God. Uh, so we've rediscovered at that point God's profound, deep and accepting love for ourselves and a deep inner stillness begins to characterize our work for God. And so perhaps the difference between stage five and stage three is that we really and truly are serving and working from the love of God, whereas in stage three, we might be tempted still to serve for God's love 
and there's a kind of manicness that can um, characterize our service. And then we go to stage six, which is called Transformed into Love. Um, and God continually sends events, circumstances, and people, even books, into our lives to keep us moving forward on our journey. Uh, he completes that work that is, uh, he began in us. Um, and his goal in the language of John Wesley is that we are made perfect in love. And Christ's love becomes our love. And so in other words, we begin more and more to look like Jesus and to live a Jesus-shaped love, both in our acts of service to others, but in the freedom that we experience within. And it's just helpful to realize that, in a way, being a circle, it's something that we can kind of go through again and again as we go deeper and deeper into God's love. So the wall isn't necessarily a one-off experience, but God can bring many walls and brings us into a deeper level of intimacy um, with him. So back to our question, how do we respond when we get to the wall? The short answer is that we keep going. We keep going. When we get to the wall, we basically have two options. We can abandon our faith because it doesn't work. So we just say, actually, all of that was a load of rubbish. Um, It doesn't work, so I'm going to put it to one side. Or we can keep going. We keep asking questions. We keep being honest in prayer. It doesn't look like pretending everything's okay, but it means keeping our hearts open to God, worshiping God and trusting him even when we don't feel like it. And this is what we see in Psalm 13. Don't worry about the, um, the first few verses because I just want you to focus on verses 5 and 6. So, The first half of the psalm is that David comes to God in prayer in that honesty. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? And in Hebrew thought, the face of God is all about that intimacy. It's all about knowing God and his love. Um, It's about knowing his grace and goodness. And David doesn't experience that. It doesn't feel like that for him in that moment. God, you're good, but I'm not feeling it right now. And he's honest with God. But he doesn't leave it at verse 4. At verse 5 he says, but I will keep on going. I'm going to keep on trusting in you because I know that ultimately you are loving. And I'm going to keep worshipping you because I know that you are good. And the same invitation is open to us to keep wrestling with God, to keep worshipping him. Some of us are going through so many different challenges at the moment. And I think God is inviting us to keep pressing into him, to keep worshipping him in those moments and what happens as we do is we keep going through the wall this is what happens ultimately god is the one who moves us through and with that comes mystery this is peter scazzaro we make the choice to trust god to wait on god to obey god to stick with god to remain faithful when everything in us wants to quit and run but as we do that he works a deep work of transformation within us and he comes and transforms the root of our lives. And we experienced uh, a greater level of freedom and joy and peace as we move through. And so finally, what are some of the characteristics of someone who has gone through this suffering? Firstly, uh, a greater level of brokenness. So in session one, we talked about the problem of covering over our brokenness and our failings that we're all tempted to do. Uh, If we're true in life, we like to present Instagram Ben rather than real Ben. Um, 
And uh, one mark of going through the wall is that we're more comfortable with our own brokenness and failings. We're more comfortable with imperfection. Rather than covering over our insecurities, we're happy just to sit in them and allow God to work in them. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus points at this when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And what he means by poor in spirit is, is not kind of the Holy Spirit um, or lacking in faith perhaps, but blessed are those who are humble, um, for they have more space, if you like, for God to come in. There's a lack of arrogance. And with that humility and arrogance, it kind of manifests in our lives through a lack of judgmentalism because we have a fresh awareness that we haven't got life sorted and actually so many people in life are going through so many different challenges. And so we're less judgmental towards ourselves, we're less judgmental towards others. And then also, secondly, there's greater space for us to know the grace of God because in our weakness, God's grace makes us strong. There's that great biblical theme that runs right the way through the scriptures. And if we think about the sort of people that Jesus hung out with, um, these were the people that were able to receive God's love um, in the most significant ways. Tax collectors, uh, lepers, those who've been pushed to the sidelines by society, uh, Gentiles, women. Um, and I think part of that is because they were happy to acknowledge their own brokenness. There was more room for the love of God to come in. And then as we live with this greater brokenness, it means we have a fresh gratitude, joy, and joy in life. We know that we can't earn anything, and everything is a gift from God. A sunset, a cup of coffee in the morning, a hug from a loved one, every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so this new gratitude and joy bubbles up within us. Uh, secondly, there's a greater level of mystery that we are able to live with. Now, I don't know about you, but I like control. I like to know where God is going, exactly what he's doing, the exact routes that we're going to get there, and the timing that we'll arrive. I like to remind God that he needs to behave as I think he should behave. Anyone else in that camp? I don't like it when God doesn't behave as I think he should behave. We love control because control makes us feel peaceful and calm. We feel like we know what's going on and we don't like mystery most of the time. And if you think about kind of chaos of what's going on in um, our political life at the moment, um, you know, part of the anxiety comes from the not knowing. We just don't know what's going to happen. And the, tr the same is true for our lives. And yet as we go through the war, we have a greater ability to sit in an unknowing. We can be confident in the character of God, but we don't have to know exactly how things pan out. Uh, just to give a little illustration, when I was uh, living in Ealing, uh, the other side of the river in West London, um, I used to walk through a park to take our eldest to nursery every day. And um, it was a foggy day. This park would would get quite foggy and you couldn't see from one end to the other. And I remember one morning just standing at the end of the park and it was just white everywhere. You could just see a little bit of a path, maybe um, five meters or so ahead of you. And so what do you do in that moment? You just walk into the path and as you walk into the path, more and more path opens up and you eventually get to where you want to go. And I think that is an illustration of the Christian life. We want to know how it's going to end. We want to know where we're going to get there, 
But most of the time, God just says, you have to trust in me for this little bit. I'll show you this bit. And then beyond that, you're going to have to trust that I'll be there again. And I'm going to show you the next step when we get there. And going through the wall makes that a lot easier. It makes us more comfortable with not having full control and sitting in that place of mystery, sitting in the place of having questions and yet still trusting in God. And then thirdly, a deep ability to, or a greater ability to wait for God. It's one of the characteristics of life following Jesus that we wait on him. Often um, we're left waiting more than God is early, right? Often God is later than we would like. Um, and in the Psalms, again and again, we're encouraged to wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Or Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And then in his word, I put my hope, I will wait for the Lord. And that place of waiting can be uncomfortable again because we don't know how it's going to end. We're um, sitting in a place of not having control. We have to trust God uh, for provision, for health care. For our children, you know, you fill in the blanks, but waiting is difficult. And a result of greater brokenness, a result of a greater sense of mystery, is a greater capacity to wait on God. It breaks something within us, the driving, grasping, fearful self-will self -will that must produce, uh, that must make something happen in case God doesn't. And we experience a greater peace in waiting, knowing that God is the only one who can really make something happen as we put our hope in him. And then fourthly, a greater detachment. What do I mean by this? One of the goals of our Christian journey, um, as I've said many times, is freedom. Freedom from the things that hold us back in life. Freedom from addictions, unhelpful behaviors, freedom from um, unhelpful thought patterns, um, things that have happened to us that hold us captive, that rob us of deep, deep joy and peace. And as we go through the other side of the wall, we experience a greater enjoyment of the love of God and of his presence. And one of the things that we become more free, free from is the things, um, to use biblical language, of this world. We have a greater sense of our identity as children of God. We're citizens of heaven and so we live life like everyone does. We Perhaps we get married, we have friendships, we buy things, we use things. But one of the marks of this side of the wall is that we have a greater openness to our possessions and worldly security. We enjoy them. We enjoy our homes. We enjoy our comforts, our health, our car, our books, our music, our family, our work, good food, good wine. But they don't define us or control us in the same way because our ultimate attachment is with our Heavenly Father. Our hearts are set more upon God and intimacy with Him. And so we develop a much healthier relationship with the world around us. So four marks that I hope encourage you as we journey through the wall. A greater level of brokenness, a greater sense of mystery, greater ability to wait for God, and a greater detachment. As I come in to land, I just want to say, you know, no one wants these times. And I want to underline that we really don't believe that God brings these seasons of suffering and, and um, times of hardship and pain into our lives. But Romans 8, 28 reminds us that in all things, God works for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. 
For God foreknew, he also, for, God, for who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so that in God's goodness and grace, he uses these times to make us more like Jesus. The person who was, you know, the most emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy person you can imagine. He was totally comfortable with himself. He didn't need to prove himself in any way. He was totally free, totally loving, and he experienced um, the love of God more than anyone, any of us because of our imperfections. And that's the direction of travel. And that's what God wants to do. And he's done it in my life. He's doing it in my life. And he's doing it in uh, so, many, so many people that I've seen, I've heard their stories. You kind of, you go along and then you go down and then it comes up again. And it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's part of who God is. He's the God who brings beauty out of ashes. He's the God who takes something that's ugly and makes something wonderful from it. He takes the valley and turns it into a mountain. On the cross, he takes death and turns it into life. From grave, he brings a garden, and he's making all things new. And so as we come into a time of ministry now, I guess the encouragement is that we can trust him. We can trust him as we bring to him some of those most painful parts of our lives, some of those seasons of our lives that we may have even put to one corner because they're too difficult to deal with. That in his grace and goodness, we can trust him. He's a good Father, and he longs us to know his healing and love in a greater way. Is that okay? Should we stand? Appreciate there was a lot there to take in. So what do we do? What we do every Sunday is we just make space to invite the Holy Spirit to come. We believe that we are changed to become more like Jesus, not simply through information, but through God's Spirit working in us, helping us to experience His love more and His power, bringing healing into our lives. So let's just be still. And...